1: Well, welcome back to America's Heroes Group with our roundtable community outreach with NADCP, the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. Today is Saturday, February 25th, 2023, February's Black History and American Heart Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Cleveland, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith. Now, digital media producers, Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have a panelist with us today. That's James Eberspacher. He is the the director of the National Center for DWI Courts. The NCDC. NCDC is a division of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. We're going to discuss a veteran's advocacy and the DWI courts, driving while intoxicated. Some people call it DUI. We want to talk about that and get to the bottom of it and what's going on in this this uh, very pervasive topic. How are you doing, James?
0: I'm wonderful. How are you today? Pretty good. So, tell, Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate
1: it. We appreciate you he- being here. We've talked about this topic a little bit in the past. Now, how pervasive is alcoholism among veterans and from your professional and personal experience, in what way does alcohol abuse get veterans in trouble with the law?
0: Well, um I don't have specific numbers in terms of, you know, uh those addicted to alcohol specifically, but what we do know is there's, you know, a a large percentage of veterans uh coming back into society and often their, their coping mechanism, if they have some mental health issues or, or anything like that, or having trouble reintegrating into society, um, substances, uh, be it alcohol or, or other illicit drugs often come into play, um, you know, to, to hide pain, to mask pain, um, to, and then, you know, those issues then become even more pervasive in that, um, we, we see, um, Veterans entering into the justice system, whether it's their first time or, you know, or their, you know, their, their repeat customers, um, a lot, a, a good chunk of them are coming in uh, with a DUI, DWI, uh, on an impaired driving case um, and and largely associated with alcohol. But what we're seeing also when it comes to impaired driving, it's not an alcohol issue only anymore. Um, it, it's more of a polysubstance issue. Um, And then also when you combine that with the large amount of mental health uh, needs and issues that uh, impaired drivers have, not to mention veterans, uh, it just really compounds uh, the problem. And it just keeps getting larger and larger if we don't have the resources to be able to to treat uh, individuals in a way that's actually helpful.
1: Wow, I think I think that hits it on the head. In 2022, you did a conference uh, I saw on YouTube. It was, it was a DUI court standard you gave a talk about that. And you mentioned a, a case uh, specifically, which really struck me. It there was a, You said there was a, a chart you pulled up, and it was a person getting pulled up for like the third time, driving under the influence. And you said yeah. that a lot of times they don't think that they have a problem. They think that the system has a problem with them as it pertains to veterans. Can you talk about that a little bit? Exactly.
0: Yeah, um, you know the the case you mentioned. You know is be it that case. You you know anybody can go online. You know watch the news. Um, you know partake in wherever you get your news from. And there's it's riddled with cases like that multiple time. Uh, you know uh, repeaters um, where you know is beyond their first. What, you know? A couple of quick stats just to throw them out there for you. Um, two-thirds of the people that get arrested for a DUI, I'm going to use those words interchangeably, so forgive me, who get arrested for a DUI <laughs> never come back into the system for another one. Mm. So it's that other one-third that we have to try to figure out why is it that they're coming back. Um, and um, the, it's, it's very often that... Um, they, they don't think they have the problem, right? Or, or the system's out to get them, as you had mentioned. And um, part of that comes with um, when you think about the act of impaired driving itself, um, we often take for granted as individuals the, the complex task of driving a car, right? I mean, it, it becomes such a second nature to us to the point that, you know, we just get the car started up and, and be on our merry way. We really don't think about the steps that it takes. So then somebody who does this repeatedly under the influence, um, without regard really for, for anybody on the road, be it pedestrians, you know, people on bikes or, or people in vehicles, whatever it may be, there's this really antisocial, uh, trait that goes along with that. And if you, are putting alcohol and other drugs along with that, again, it becomes just kind of this compounding effect of, um, I don't have the problem. You have the problem. And, um, I don't really need anybody's help. Wow.
1: That's really interesting. Cause I mean, you would think that someone, when you hit a brick wall and it hurts at some point you say, okay, something's wrong here. It can't be the wall's fault. If I'm the one hitting the wall, the wall's not going anywhere.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, um, common when it comes to impaired driving especially common messages and, and prevention efforts that you and I you know will see on you know on the TV or here on the radio or you know whatever ad campaign it is we, we get it right we understand the, the scourge that impaired driving can have on our communities and does have on our communities and you know it kills uh, over 10,000 people every single year in the United States. Um, and, and so when we're faced with that issue um, you know, it, we, we absolutely have to do more about it. So tell us about the DWI
1: court in Minnesota. Um, how is it different than regular traffic court or criminal court?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the next one, uh question so DUI courts, you uh, you know, Generally, whether they're in Minnesota or, you know, they're in Virginia or Illinois or, you know, wherever they're located operate, um, fundamentally the same. There, there are some differences based upon, you know, uh, you know, jurisdictions and and the the resources that are available for treatment and and mental health and, and a lot of these other wraparound services that individuals need. But essentially somebody comes in, um, you know, they're arrested for a, a DUI. Um it's it's likely gonna be uh, a repeater, meaning they've had more than one. Um generally what we see you know, DUI courts are for a high risk, high need population. And what I mean by that is things that they've been involved in the justice system in the past, previous, you know, interventions, um, be it jail treatment, um, you know, standard probation out in the community, whatever the case may be, um, that that has failed right it hasn't worked to change that individual's behavior so if if we continue to subject somebody to the same interventions knowing that it's not going to change um it, it it's us beating our head against the brick wall right mm-hmm. um and so when we when we look at that high risk population that's who we're targeting essentially with a dui core is somebody who repeatedly has you know gets behind the wheel they're likely not caught most of the time, right? So for them to get two, three, you know, eight, nine, or ten DUIs on their record takes some, you know, some skill in a, in a really negative way. Um, and then when we look at high need, it's individuals who have a significant substance use disorder, um, you know, with, with any type of impairing substance um, who, who have very often mental health needs, but also have kind of these other factors, um, be it to hang out with the wrong crowd, right? Or, you know, there's a family history of um, uh, drug use or, or substance use disorders. Maybe their job's not stable. Maybe their housing's not stable. And so if we're not targeting all of these other needs that they have, um, you know, we can treat the individual, but for kind of this all-around behavior change that we're thinking about in a DUI court, it, it takes a long time. You know, usually we're looking at anywhere between a year and two years that individuals are involved in a program like this. Um, it's intensive individualized treatment. There's strict accountability where they have to check in uh, with their probation officer, you know, usually weekly. Um, they're seeing a judge every week. Um, you know, to to come back in and and just monitor how the case is going. They're getting drug tested and they're getting alcohol tested uh, on a daily basis for alcohol early on and at least a couple times a week. So it's that balance of accountability along with those those need factors that um, everybody that's on the team helping the individual, they all have a role in, in linking up the individual with services so we can see that 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 whole change from a person not just in one area
1: and you've had a lot of success with this, what it seems like no 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 i think it's great because because the thing of it is is that it's so important for people to understand is that this this type of approach has actually been more productive and effective than basic criminal court and this regular traffic court this idea of either Absolutely. just punishing someone and slapping them on the wrist or then upping the uh, the punishment every time they get caught you're talking about people getting caught eight or nine times. I can't even understand how that even is possible. How do you, How does a person, I mean, as an aside, how does a person get caught eight or nine times and not end up in, like, prison for 20 years? How does that happen?
0: Well, and that's the thing. I mean, it, I mentioned this uh, a little bit, um, but I'll touch on it a, a bit more. What we see, you know, to get caught eight or nine times, um, it's not just that the person's unlucky. It's because they're doing it on a daily basis multiple times a day. Um, when there, there's some research that supports um, people are have usually driven probably around 200 times, if not more, impaired before wow. they're ever caught. So if you think about it, so then the person who has eight or nine convictions, you know, put, you know, do the math quickly and you can figure out, you know, that there's, they're driving all the time. And it doesn't matter what you do in terms of taking away their license, they're going to drive, um you know so there's there's a lot of interventions that are available but when you have you know the u.s has approximately give or take in a year about a million total arrests for impaired driving across the nation Mm -hmm. um and and if we're looking at just jail or or not really you know peeling back the layers of what is driving that behavior pardon the pun um, you know, it's just putting people in jail and having no services, especially for this high-risk, high-need population. Simply doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and while it might make us feel safe and, and better for the moment, also if you're being arrested for your eighth, ninth, or tenth DUI, you're not going to jail for or prison forever. I mean, it, it, I rarely seen if at all you'd have to, you'd have really have to do some research to find if anybody's ever served a life sentence strictly through a DUI where there's no fatality or, or no, um, you know, severe bodily injury. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So what happens when the person comes out? If we haven't treated them, we haven't given them the services that they need, people go right back into the same behaviors. Wow. Um, and so that's why we often see somebody get Multiples um, because the regular stuff that we do in the traditional system doesn't work for somebody um, who 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 drives impaired and has a significant substance use disorder. So
1: tell us some of the success of what the court has done. So DWI courts and DOI courts. How what have how was how are they? What are the numbers that show that they've been more successful than regular courts?
0: Yeah. So you know, again for for this specific population, you know, that high-risk, high-need, I have to reinforce that because that's really, I want to make sure folks listening are, are, are clear on who's it for. It, it, generally speaking, somebody who's a first-timer um, or who maybe have significant, um, you know, periods of their life where, you know, maybe they got one 20 years ago and now they got one again, um, that's usually not our population that we're looking for. Um, if, if you know, and, and then those who can't control their using behavior because they have a chronic disease and that's a substance use disorder. So, without the significant treatment, without the accountability and some of this behavior change, um, you know, most we're not going to see is the successes that DUI courts have. And you know, when we're looking at this. Um, the best DUI courts from around the nation, um, the, the research is clear. They reduce overall general recidivism by up to 60%. Wow. Um, as compared to, you know, doing something with similar individuals and just putting them in jail or just giving them community supervision or, you know, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, if we can reduce, you know, that recidivism for just, overall general crimes by that much. I mean, that's, that shows the power. And when we're looking at, you know, the future for impaired driving cases, a lot of the courts I've seen that have that data, um, people are not for the most part being, getting rearrested for DUI. I mean, we're talking some of these courts for people who graduate from these programs, maybe see a, 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 2%, 10%, um, recidivism rate when it comes specifically to impaired driving. So they're, they're highly successful. And and we know that by keeping the people engaged and giving them the treatment that they need and correcting or giving them the tools to correct all these other issues that get in the way of, you know, living a normal life like you and I would, um, they're going to be back in the system at some point. Um, and, And so this is the best way we know that you know has the research has the data to support um, that you know the, of their efficacy, and they're also efficient the, in the long run they they save taxpayer dollars. Um, just you know with a dollar investment, we see a, roughly about a two to three dollar return on investment. so wow. it, it's 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 money spent wisely as well, um, which you know, I think we all as taxpaying citizens want to make sure. Um, you know our, that money is going to useful things, and, and, and they definitely are when it comes to all treatment courts and, and DUI courts, especially.
1: It's been amazing because we have a lot of we had a lot of judges and, and lawyers and people that are social workers who work with people that have uh, substance abuse issues, and they all have said the exact same thing: is that when you have veterans courts, uh, DUI courts, these types of interventions are way more uh, cost effective and also way more effective at solving the problem. Absolutely. And, and the, but, it's a dip, but it takes a shift in mindset from a being a, 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 just a punishment mindset, well, if I hit you enough times, you'll stop doing it, versus recognizing that a certain part of the population, as you mentioned, not everybody, but a certain part of the population, the ones that are getting arrested eight, nine times, those individuals need something stronger than just punishment. And it seems like the stronger tool in the in the arsenal is treatment with accountability, as you mentioned before. So, is it what's to, in the future? What is being done? What, what is tell us about your work to try to expand DWI courts and DUI courts across the country or across the the the, the, the court system?
0: Absolutely. I, I, uh, thanks for the question. You know, as the work that I do, I oversee um, you know our division that NCDC that's specific to all of our training and and technical assistance that we provide to jurisdictions that want to start a DUI court, maybe already have one um, or want to add, you know, a track. And what I mean by that is like, if they have an existing veteran treatment court, if they want to target specifically individual needs for veterans who, who are there for impaired driving cases, because it's a different type of individual. Um, And so part of our message is, is one, getting the public and and people to understand exactly what we were just talking about. Jail and punishment doesn't work for these individuals. Uh, People who have a severe substance use disorder have, it's a chronic disorder. and, And we've, for too long, have treated it like an acute care model, meaning that, we send somebody to treatment for low band. we expect them to get well and be better, and then when when they use again, instead of wondering what went wrong, we blame them and treat it as a moral failure very often. And and this is a completely different look, um, and we want people to know and understand that message that they're individuals, but if not for their substance use disorder or their mental significant mental health issues, they wouldn't be in the, in, involved in the system. Um, and so us getting that message out, um, there some of the other things we do is we work with judges. We, you know, we work pretty tirelessly around the country training individuals, um, not just about DUI courts, but about what can your community do better um, as opposed to just having, you know, jail as a possible remedy um, or as a possible, you know, sentence for for these individuals and and so we like to educate folks on we have to identify them early on um you know we want them to start dui courts where where it makes sense and they have that high risk high need population that you know nothing else is working um and and thus far since i came to ncdc um which was in 2014 um we now we, we've seen DUI courts steadily climb and we're up to over 700 across the nation, um, which is great, but we still have a lot of work to do. Um, especially in larger cities, um, where they don't have programs like this.
1: Hmm. So if, if so in, the, in, the, in your community interventions and outreach, there's people out there that know someone right now that has a problem drinking or with substance abuse and they know they drive every day under the influence they know that they're going to be driving tonight under the influence and they expect that what can that person do to get them um, into your system to the into a DWI quarter or some kind of treatment program like what you're talking about is that a thing
0: yeah I mean so you know if, if you have concerns I think you could ask anybody um, one a couple of questions one do they know anybody that's ever had a DUI most of us know at least one person um, that's, that's gotten one. Um, and then the other part of that is, um, we likely all also know at least one person, whether it's the same person or not, who has significant issues with, with drugs and alcohol, um, or, or have significant mental health issues. And so, um, the best thing, you know, is to look for help for the for the individual. Um, you know, it, unfortunately, the the only way that an individual can be involved in a program like this is to be arrested. You know, that that's kind of the, the intercept point in the system. Um, you know, but yet that arrest may also be the starting point for somebody to have significant life change. Right. And, and, and get out of the system. So, um, you know, one of the things that, and this may seem, um, I, I don't know how it's to come across to some of your listeners, but um, if if you know anybody that's driving impaired, the authorities have to be, you know, called. Um, it, it, you know, there we need to protect our communities um, from this problem, and there's no community that that's essentially safe. From impaired driving, right? It's it's everywhere. Um, so we have to do our part as citizens to make sure, you know, that that we we can do anything to keep our roads safe. But if we know certain individuals and and, and if they have been arrested, contact you know defense attorneys. Um, you know, look to see if there are programs like this in the community. Um, you know, and, and bottom line is try to get some if the person needs treatment. Getting them involved in treatment and getting them services that they need as quick as possible, um, and that's that's really when we see people changing. Is when we can get them involved as quick as possible after arrest. And there are some communities who are doing an excellent job of that. And, and you know, it's just a matter of days as opposed to, you know, what we generally see for in a paired driving case to go through a court system. It, it might take a year or more before a conviction's ever. You know, wow. and there's ever a sense, and and so those individuals, if they're out of jail, are doing the same kinds of behaviors, right, that got them there in the first place. Mm-hmm.
1: You remind me of a story, my own story, really. When I was about was when I was in the military, um, I was picking up somebody during a flood. It was a flood going on um, mm-hmm. in Chicago, and all the viaducts were flooded out. And then one of my friends got her car was stranded under a viaduct. The water was, was up to her windows. So the police were out actually shutting down Lakeshore Drive. So I went to go get wow. her. I had to get out of my car and actually walk to go get her. She was also in the military at the time. Um, and we were coming. We're We're working. We were doing drill that week. It was a drill weekend. So when I'm going back to my house for the night, we had to report back at early in the morning. A drunk driver slammed into the back of my Mustang, totaled the car. It flew me into incoming traffic. And there was a line of uh, traffic you know, going in the opposite direction, trying to get on to the expressway but couldn't because it was flooded. Um, wow. I could smell the alcohol on the guy about 10 feet away. As soon as I got out of the car, I asked the guy if he was drunk, and the guy um, spoke bro- – I don't know if he was speaking broken English or if he just was just so intoxicated he could barely speak. Stumbled out of the car, had no license, no insurance, mm-hmm. and had been arrested um, previously. The reason why he lost his license and insurance is because he was from DUI. So from there I can see the 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 severity of the problem also on uh, uh full disclosure in 2007 I was drunk one time um thought I had slept it off and had not you know and been was sure. okay for a long long time and I was arrested for uh DWI now it was it was questionable at the time cuz the guy that was in the full disclosure but there was a, the guy that actually did the arrest he's known in Chicago Joe DArthur Parker was suspended for doing false arrest for DUIs um, so he had arrested a ton of people in Chicago that were not drunk at all. One of the the person that, that actually got him his badge was allergic to alcohol and could not have been drunk. So he had, a, but he had a history of doing this yeah. type of thing. But yet still, that wow. that taught me a lesson. Even yet still, haven't been a victim, and also yet still knowing that I had drunk earlier, it should have been taking my butt straight home or just you know chilling at the house or whatever or just staying where I was at. Still, it got behind the wheel of a car.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you sharing both both sides of that. And, you, you know, you have the unique perspective of being able, you know, to see both sides of that. And um, it, it, it's, I'd be interested to know from you, you know, is um, whether you were, you know, the person that's just as involved because you you, you, were, you were caught um, or as a victim were those feelings about, you know, that kind of part of your life or that time or when it was happening, you know, did you have different thoughts and attitudes being a victim as opposed to being the person arrested?
1: That is a great question. Now we got to have you back to talk about that because uh, we ran out of time, unfortunately. <laughs> We've got 15 seconds left and i got the music playing. So thanks for your time. Jim Eberspacher, he is the director of the National Center of D.D. Courts, NCDC, And NCDC is a division of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate uh, having me on. This is America's Heroes Group. We'll be right back.